Do you ever feel like you don't know where to start when it comes to volunteer training? Don't have the time to record training videos? The brand new version of Ministry Grid has already done the work for you with over 750 courses for you to choose from. To help you get started right away, they even have created training pathways which provide volunteer, leader, director, and staff level training modules for each specific ministry area. Whether you're looking to train volunteers, teachers, or other leaders, you can use these pathways to equip all individuals within your church. With Ministry Grid, you can customize any training that you would like and add videos, PDFs, YouTube videos, and other content that you would like. And all this can be done right from your phone. Ministry Grid has been completely rebuilt to be made for mobile and train on the go. Now you can truly train anyone, anytime, and anywhere. Get started today at ministrygrid.com. Once again, that's ministrygrid.com. Hi, and welcome to EST. If you love the established church, this is the place to have conversations about why the established church matters, how to better serve her, and to hear stories every week about how God is using the church for His glory and our good. The show is hosted each week by Sam Rayner, Josh King, and Micah Fries. We're glad you're here. Hey, good morning or afternoon or evening. Whenever you're listening, this is EST, the podcast for established church pastors by established church pastors, headed up by Micah Free, Sam Rayner, myself, Josh King. How are you guys doing today? Doing good. Great. Yeah. I'm just enjoying listening to you have to say all that stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing to spit out. I try to make it new every time, but you know, how many times <laughs> can you say, thanks for listening to the podcast? I wonder, you know, when y'all listen to podcasts, what are y'all doing? Like, I, li- I listen to them on a run. You guys I'm driving. driving, driving, pretty I'm much driving. driving. Yep. I don't do, I don't listen to anything when I run because I pray because I'm uber spiritual. That's oh, what mm. I do when I run. Well, I just don't run, so you know there's that option too. <laughs> <laughs> and you're just wise, right? Yes, well, yeah. I don't. I may mind. be spiritual, I, I, but you're wise. I like riding my a, bike. I don't like running. I've got a seven minute commute. It would take me like a week to listen to one podcast. So. Uh, see, I have a twenty five. I have a twenty five minute commute every morning, and that doesn't include the amount of time it takes me to drop my daughter off at school. So, oh wow, my yeah. commute is completely dependent upon how many snowbirds are on the road. Yeah, you were griping about that earlier. I was. You know, I mean, I live five miles from the beach, and basically right. that's just bridges over to the the islands. And let me right. tell you, it can get backed up. It can take you an hour and a half oh. to drive that that five miles. I mean, it's mm. crazy this time of year. When we're recording this, it's March. It's peak season for us. The snowbirds are out in full force, and mm. uh, they they drive. Uh, they'll drive fifteen in a forty five. Um, <laughs> <laughs> They're taking no. in the view, man. It's Listen, we love them, man. They are. They, <laughs> They're great for the economy around here, and they right. serve our church well, so I won't complain too much. No. They just should speed up a little bit. Pull off if you're going to look, right? <laughs> yes. Pull yes. off the road if you're going to take it out. Hey, let's talk about uh, some transitions. I know you and, and you guys and I have uh, done some major transitions in our church. It changes everything. It changes the dynamic, changes the church culture, and then hopefully those changes led to either health growth or numeric growth, and when that happens, you need new leaders. So here's the concept or the idea. How do you install new leaders after a major change? What are the things you're looking through? It seems kind of fresh. I know for myself, I get kind of worried that 
maybe not everybody is really kind of, the, the, we all voted that way. We made the decision or however your decision process is. Now, did they really understand what we meant when we were going that way? Uh, let's start off with just kind of talking about some of the major changes that you guys have made in your churches. Yeah. So I would, uh, let me just say this. It depends on the change. So if mm-hmm. you can have a, you can have a reactive change or a proactive change. So you kind of set this up as a proactive change. Like you've got something new you want to do. There's a new endeavor for the church and you, you need to hire or install a leader accordingly. But there's also okay. reactive change. So I, you know, I've had to lead a church through a, a moral failure. I had a worship pastor at a moral failure, not here at my current church, but at a previous church. And in that path is a completely different path than say, you know, one where you're, you know, adding a life group pastor, which is what we've done here at West Bradenton. Um, so if the first thing that you need to do is you just need to ask yourself, okay, am, am I reacting to something or am I, or is this something that I am taking, you know, is this a proactive sort of change? And, you know, the, the pathways are going to be very different because obviously a reactive change may involve healing. Um, proactive change may involve having to quote unquote, sell a new vision. Um, so that, that's what I would say first is, you know, what kind of change are we talking about before you're thinking of installing a new? Yeah. And I think, you know, beyond that, um, so obviously you want to think through, do the leaders share theology with where the church is going? That matters. Um, but I'll tell you among, and I've got some friends who probably are going to think that this is not the. Uh, the best thing they've ever heard anyone say, but I, I mean, I'm, I'm, let, let me just say, you guys are not, I think you guys are going to actually appreciate this, but embracing the vision of where the church is going may just be almost the single most important element of the leaders you're trying to install in a leadership role. Um, because um, if, if they don't, if they don't share the vision, even if you share theology, but if you don't share a vision about where the church is going or the direction you're moving, uh, leaders have the capacity to derail far at a far greater level than average church members do. And so you've got to be very careful, diligent, I think, vigilant to protect the vision uh, among your leaders. I've said this before, but the wrong leader is worse than no leader. And, uh, and I I think we miss this in churches, you know, you have a position come available and we, you know, we go down the list of our qualifications, you know, upright, bipedal, breathing, able to speak the same language. We have this rigorous (laughs) set of qualifications we're looking for, for church leaders. Well, no, that's definitely something that's qualifying in my world, but anyway, (laughs) uh, but we don't have good qualifications. We just see position open position needs to be filled. And we grab whatever breathing body we can. And it really doesn't matter to us whether they're willing or not, because all of us are good at grabbing unwilling people and getting them to do something we want them to do. Uh, And so, yeah, we can be persuasive. That's part of the nature of the job. So we just see position open and we put someone in the position. But I'm telling you, the wrong leader is worse than no leader. Um, And so getting someone who embraces that vision. And I'll tell you, that often is going to be someone who is newer to the church rather than someone who's been there for a long time. That's not always the case. And I'm not saying you should exclude people who have been there for a long time. I'm saying people who are newer to the church have often come under the vision that you're trying to cast. And so they come to the church because of the vision. Those who have been there longer Mm -hmm. are trying to adjust to the vision. Even if they like it, they still often function under a different paradigm and I was thinking about that literally this past week, that that there is often the sense that those who came 
under the vision are better in terms of helping lead the transition to that vision than those who maybe have been there for a while and are trying to transition in their own mind to that vision. Mm-hmm. You bring up some a benefit that I've discovered in what you're talking about there with the not putting the wrong person in the place or not just, you know, wedging somebody into that position that <clears throat> I've discovered is sometimes it's that it's that that uh, in between stage. Okay, so you've got this ministry that needs a leader. Maybe the previous leader left or you're starting it anew. And you can't find necessarily the right person. Instead of shoving somebody in that position, you either wait or you don't. One of the things that I think that that creates is it justifies whether or not that's a ministry you need to do in the first place. Sometimes things need to die and the leader transitioning out is the thing that helps. For our church here, it's a minor thing, but probably a thing that a lot of people are dealing with was the children's choir. It was not a thing that really kind of fit into my vision, being the new pastor kind of here for a while, and the leader left. And so where, what do we do? I could have forced somebody, and one of the mistakes I think a lot of pastors make is they force their spouse into that position, and they're kind of like, here, do this for me, please, it helps, you know, that sort of thing, or forcing a staff member to take it on and things, when really nobody's actually passionate about it, and if nobody will step up to lead it, then it probably doesn't need to happen sometimes. I mean, there's few occasions where you probably need to kind of put a bandaid over it and fix it later. But I think it's helpful to realize that sometimes those leaders walking around means we don't have to do that. we don't have to do all of these ministries and maybe it was, it served its course and now it's done. Yeah. I think that's a hard thing in the, in the established church, Josh is declaring, um, declaring something dead. And, you know, dead doesn't mm-hmm. mean that there's not someone still involved in it. We're, we're, we're speaking metaphorically sure. now, right? Yeah, we're not but, talking about people. No, we're like, not talking right. about people. We're talking about okay. metaphorically speaking with respect to ministries. Because um, I've had some surprises at the hospital. Where, you know, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> they dead? That's nope, true. they're back. They're, oh, they're, 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 they're next Sunday, you know, so I, it, but, it does happen. I'm thinking more of like shutting ministries down, determining uh, mm. in the church because – and we've talked about this before. I've argued that we make decisions emotionally or the average church member makes de- decisions emotionally rather than logically when it comes to established churches, right? Because so much of what they do in the faith tradition is emotional and it's personal. Um, the same is true for shutting down ministries or transitioning ministries. Well, we've got – I can think of one that we tried to transition out of in the past year and a half here at at our church that did not go well, and we're continuing in it right now. And, and one of the arguments someone said to me was, well, if one person comes to Jesus through that ministry, then it's worth it, right? And it's hard to say to them, no, it, that's not correct. Mm. But the truth is right. there are times when that's not correct. Uh, let's say we're going to spend X right. amount of dollars and we can lead one person to Jesus and that ministry has been existent for a while. But if I could take that same amount of money and I could lead five people to Jesus by transitioning it or in a new ministry, mm-hmm. then no, spending that amount of money so one person can come to mm-hmm. Jesus, that's not a good argument. But it's hard to, it's hard to move people emotionally through that. And, and to be honest with you, I've still not been able to successfully transition this ministry. And so we've kind of gone all in on supporting it and trying to breathe new life into it and see if hopefully we can, we can have something, you know, good come out of it right now because uh, there's just too much of an emotional hold on it in our church right now. So, um, and, and that's an important thing, I think, for us to say to people, too. We, you know, successfully leading churches doesn't mean you always get your way. <laughs> it doesn't. Right. 
And I agree with you. You know, like there are times where you need to put your full weight behind it. Let's revive this. Let's make this work. And sometimes that works. The other side of it is I think it's just a powerful reality or like a realization that would help a lot of ministers and pastors if they realized, okay, there is another approach to this. So if I go in and you have a cheerful and a positive attitude that says, hey, Y'all know that such and such leader has stepped out or has left or, you know, whatever circumstances, this has shifted a little bit. So we're looking for one of you to step up and lead it. And we're excited about the future. And then if nobody does, the reality, they're all usually in these ministries, they're all adults. There's adults around to lead it. So either they do or it don't. And that's just kind of the way that we go with it. And sometimes that's empowering instead of the pastor stressing out his family or his staff or something like that and saying, I've got to make this thing because there's two or three people that are upset about it. I usually go to those people and say, then lead it, lead it forward if you want to lead it and otherwise don't. And even in some of those occasions, I've known that even when they do take it, this is this is just one more step down the road of it dying off. So I'm not saying that always happens transitioning leaders when there's a big shift like that. That's the way that you should take it. Sometimes you do, but there are times where we can think about it as a positive that this could go away. Yeah. And I think, you know, investing in an area of ministry that maybe you think is not going to go well, but you, but investing in it, trying to breathe new life into it for a season actually can help you when it comes time to actually kill it, to step away. Because then you can say to the church with, with all integrity, we tried, we did everything in our power to revive this. And it just, it just isn't, it, it just hasn't been successful. It, it's time to move on. And even so, what did it can you, be difficult, but yeah, go ahead. What did you call these, Sam? These are um, retroactive changes or how'd you call it? Proactive or reactive, yeah. Yeah, th- we're, we're, we're talking about more reactive changes now where you need to correct something. Um, the, the, in, in reactive changes uh, where you're installing new leaders or trying to breathe new life into ministries or kill certain programs, the, the thing that I would say is measure the potential impact. So – how many people are involved in this ministry? If you have a church of 300 and 100 people are involved, be very, very careful with the kind of leader that you put in, in that. Even if you want to you know, keep it going or even if you want to kill it, be very careful with how you manage change in that ministry because it's, it's a third of your church. You know, if, if it's three people that are connected to the ministry and, you know, they may or may not even be members and they come like every four weeks – well, that's a minimal impact with you know your congregation. Um, so the number of people involved, and then are they power brokers in the church? You know, and and I say that I use that term. You know, it's not a negative term. It just maybe that just they have a lot. Of, they may be godly people with a lot of influence. Well, you know, if if all of your influencers are involved in the ministry, again, be very careful with how you approach change there because you don't want to lose your best support in the church. So in those reactive changes, yeah, how many people, who are the influencers? Are they involved? You know, are these people that are loosely connected or highly, you know, active in the church? Those are all very important considerations with how the kinds of leaders that you then put into place. Because, I mean, let's, listen a minute, we've all kind of put that person in a spot where we know it's like, why don't you go stand over there? Um, and, and it's, and it's like, it's kind of a holding tank just to see what's going to happen, even though we're not trying to breathe new life in a particular program or ministry. And, you know, it's not like we're trying to be mean or anything. It's just like, we're just going to let that be over there. And if whatever happens is whatever happens. Um, you don't want to do that with, you know, people that are 
major influencers in the church. You you, you want to make sure that you're managing the the um, the power of your church appropriately because every church has a power structure. Every single church. Sometimes great people are in power. They're noble, full of integrity. Sometimes they aren't. You ha- you as a shepherd have to manage that power structure. So be very careful with the leaders that you put over certain programs or ministries. <laughs> Do you see me raise my hand? No, I, we're not. You were recording now. We can't see each other. I wish we could. You know, we. I know, but you saw it. But the um, the for our listeners, we're using a new software, and it had a little hand <laughs> where I could raise it, and I don't oh, no, know I what it looks that. like on y'all's screen, but I thought it was oh, okay. Look at there. Here, I'll do it again. <laughs> There, listeners, that was for your benefit. Oh, so I've got an, I've got an illustration of uh, – is that neat? Our listeners can't see this at all, but you do. You can highlight a hand so that you can say you want to speak. That's really – okay, Josh. Josh is raising his hand again. All right, Josh. <laughs> so I've got an illustration of a forward-thinking kind of change that we could make or that you can make because here, here's one of the caveats or one of the things I've discovered is you don't want to think about the leader after you've made the change. You need to be thinking of the leader and the leadership before you make the change. In fact, installing the leader will help bring about the change, even if it's not fully out there yet. So here's an example. We needed to write new bylaws here. I knew in my brain we were going to go toward an elder-led, congregationally accountable model. That's where we were going to go. The church did not know that at the time. And so one of the ways that I was thinking of what's going to happen. So if you're a single pastor-led church and you're going to elder-led, there's as soon as your church makes the decision, however they make that decision, the very next moment you need, according to your bylaws or your structure, to have multiple elders. And so you need to think through that on how we're going to do that. The way we did that was I said, uh, I remember very clearly, I was in front of the church and one of the you know our church meetings and I said, we need new bylaws. Here's the here's the argument on why we need new bylaws. Essentially, we didn't have any. And so we're going to write some new bylaws. And I think Robert and Paul and Miss Barbara are going to help me write those bylaws. And I had talked to them before and I knew that we were going to transition to, you know, elders um, for whatever, re- for a personal reason. Miss Barbara bowed out of the team, the committee, because at that time, that's how we did things, committees. And and so it ended up Paul, Robert and myself. Uh, wrote these bylaws. And then when we were done, uh, the church voted, it passed, great, no, no, no votes on that. And then I said, so we need elders now. And everybody's like, oh yeah, yeah, we need to do that. And so I said, so the way our bylaws read is the current elders nominate the next elders and the church confirms that. And they were all, yeah, that's great. So I'm the current elder and I nominate Robert and Paul. They helped me write these bylaws. And somebody said, you did that on purpose. And I said, yeah, I did. I mean, I wanted, you know, the leaders to write the the structure that was going to help us go forward. So that's an example of thinking through before. That's exactly why I picked them to help us write it. And that's exactly what the plan was, because those people acted like elders and that was going to work out that way. So sometimes installing the leaders first in that direction is going to help you get towards the change that you need. And not I think there's sometimes programs or ideas die in between you launching the idea and then you finding the leader, maybe those need to be reversed. No, I, I know. I, you've, I've, I've all of a sudden I'm looking at this hand that's on our software. I, I kind of wondered why it was there, but but now I know. 
So have y'all installed leaders before changes or how did you proactively go about changing with leaders? Oh, listen, I, there are times, and, and this may not be the best practice, so I'm not giving advice here. I'm just telling you what I've done. So I'm being descriptive here, not prescriptive. Mm-hmm. There are times when, because I'm an entrepreneur, so I, I'm, I'm a bit of an, I may not be a good one, but I, I think entrepreneurially. Um, there are times when I've given uh, a person a title and said, you're in charge and just let them go. Um, and that, that's probably not the best practice, but it has worked, um, particularly with young men. Um, I, I've seen it work well. So, um, yeah, I, to answer your question, there are times when I just let people go and see what's going to happen. Mm. Um, if you're wondering if it has bitten me before, yeah, I mean, it, it has. Um, but th- that's the nature of, you know, <laughs> changing things rapidly and thinking entrepreneurially in the church. Or any leadership. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm thinking Micah is probably more thoughtful and strategic in what he does. Uh, I, I, what do you, what say you, Micah? Yeah, I, I, well, I don't know if I'm more thoughtful and strategic. I, I doubt that any of us on this podcast are more thoughtful or strategic than Sam, than you are. But, um, and I'm pretty sure Josh would agree with me on that one. Sure. But, um, you know, I, I just think to me, again, it goes back. We're trying to build a culture of leadership, but not just a culture of leadership, at, at Brainerd, we're trying to build a culture of who we are as a church. And it doesn't take very long for us to learn whether or not someone is uh, running with us in respect to the culture or if they're pushing against us. And really, guys, that's all there is. There are those who are running against us and there are those who are pushing against us. Uh, ru- those who are running with us and those who are pushing against us. Those are your really your, your only two options. I mean, mm-hmm. and so everybody is, is doing one of those two things. And uh, I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, yes, we have a rubric that we're looking for when we're trying to select uh, leaders. We, we, we like to say we're looking for character, then competency, then calling, and then what we call camaraderie. Do we get along well? So is there character with that that reflects the character of Jesus? Is it biblical uh, competency? Are they good at doing what we're asking them to do? Um, calling, is there a clear sense from the Lord that he's giving them a desire to do this and we have a desire to see them in this role? And then camaraderie, do we get along well? Do we like to work together? And this is true whether it's a paid leader, a volunteer leader, doesn't matter what the case is. And so we do have that rubric, but I'm telling you, it's it's really... That's really good, by the way. Where did you steal that from? <laughs> I don't think I stole it from anyone, but I don't know. I thought, I, I mean, it's I a general kind of an acronym that Baptist Jews. Yeah. I mean, I've heard yeah, some I mean, of it before. But man, those are the four somebody, things. One of our listeners is going to take that and like write a book. That's well, really if they do, put me in your in the, in the thanks at the beginning of the book or something. <laughs> I may do it. I'm going to yeah, steal we'll it. Go for it. Um, but, but I mean, ultimately, to me, it's not even that hard. I'm, I'm asking the question are you walking with us toward the vision? Are you pulling against it? I mean, that's the thing I'm asking. And if you're walking with us, we're going to try and move you into a leadership role. And by the way, that's the other thing. I'm not just waiting for leadership roles and then looking around asking, okay, who's a good leader to put in this role? I'm looking for people who are walking along the vision and asking, where can I move them into leadership? Mm. You understand the fundamental difference between the two? Like, I'm not just waiting for positions to open and then trying to fill them. I'm looking for people and then trying to find ways to put them in leadership. That means that there may be at times where I have more leaders than I have positions. And if that's the case, I create positions. I find a way to put them over something, to give them responsibility, to entrust to them. We're trying to create a huge pipeline of leaders. To me, it's about the leader, not the position. I'm looking for people who are running with us in the direction we're running, and I'll find ways to put them into areas of responsibility. 
Yeah, I've got a couple of guys right now that I'm just waiting for a position to open or a need to rise. But I know I've thought in my mind several times in conversations, I, I'm I'm intentionally having these conversations to lead you in the direction of our vision because I know you're going to lead a big role in our church here pretty soon. I'm just not exactly sure what that role is yet. And I think that's just part of discipleship, what you're talking about there, Micah. Yeah, that's and okay. guys and Listen, leading. I'm glad you said that. And and if, <laughs> speaking of books, this is this what I'm talking about now is a part of the book that I'm working on for Moody Press. Jeremy Maxfield and I have got a contract to write this book for Moody Press. And it's birthed out of a theology of Ephesians chapter four, that God gives leaders to the church for the express purpose of equipping the saints for works of ministry. I'm not worrying about positions that need to be filled. I'm looking for people who need to be built up into the image of Jesus. And leadership is a part of that responsibility of building people up into the image of Jesus. So the lesson here is to look out into your congregation and see who God has given you. And then That's ask exactly the, right. And then ask the question, what can I do with them? Not, oh, if, if only I could fill this particular position and do this particular ministry or program. No, God has gifted you with certain people Train them up in their areas of calling, competency, character, and camaraderie. Yeah. <laughs> it's just so good. It's just so I'm 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 like I. It, I'm actually shocked you've never heard that. You you seem to be the guy that. Yeah, I was going to say I I've heard something like that for a while. No, no, I just yeah. it just I have heard similar things. I'm not a moron. Thank you very much. But it's just the way the way that, <laughs> you are a race man. That's literally our point. You're not a moron. So it. it it came just the way that those words rolled off of Micah's tongue like it's smooth butter. It was just, <laughs> just so good. I'm, I'm not the voice, but you know, everyone's the voice. We saw that Sam. We saw that you got to uh, have lunch with the voice this past week, Sam, at Disney World. Oh man, yeah, yes, yeah. Mr. The the one and only Jonathan Howell and I, who Jonathan co-hosts uh, my dad's podcast, and um, yeah, we had we had a date together at Magic Kingdom, and um, and we we ate. Oh, what did we eat? I can't. Oh, it was no, this uh, is getting into details. <laughs> we had I had I had a pepperoni pizza with the one and only the voice Jonathan Howe. Mm, the voice yes. Jonathan Howe. Yeah, that's right. Hey, you know what we haven't talked about yet is our EST conference coming up in October later this year. I think people need to start putting that on their... Uh, Hang on just a second. I think you just dropped brand new information, Josh. I think we've hinted at it. We did hint at in a, yeah. like several episodes ago, but Previous I think episodes. we can... That's right. But this is sort of... This is a big deal. Yeah. It's it's pretty much official. I think this week, later this week, we are going to launch the event page so people can start registering. Well, for it. I was going to say, by the time they're listening to this, though, it'll already be rolled out. When you say later this week, you mean when we record this episode. True that. True that. So you're going to be looking for that. Hopefully you'll see that on there. We're going to be hosting it uh, just north of Dallas, northwest of Dallas, near the DFW airport. In fact, it's a one-day conference, so it's very reasonable to assume that you could fly in. If that's your mode of transportation, go to the conference and fly right back out. You can go anywhere in the country. That, in fact, is my plan. I'm planning to do exactly that, Josh. And let's just say for those of us who don't live in the Dallas area, mm -hmm. when Josh says it's northwest of Dallas, he means it's in Dallas. 
for those of us who don't live there. Only those who live there does that matter. For the rest of us, fly into the DFW airport and you're going to be there, right? So this to to me when I hear you say it's when I hear you say it's northwest of Dallas, I think up near the Oklahoma border. No, it's it's in the DFW metroplex. All you got to do is fly to the airport and you're going to be right there. That's true. The thing y'all call Dallas, it's right in that, right in the middle of it. But the thing we call Dallas, it's a little ways away from it. But it's a great location and let me just tell you this. I mean, it's it is a wonderful place, tons of things to eat, beautiful um, kind of scenery as far as metroplex kind of scenery and just a gorgeous church. And I'm just really excited about kind of the format because we've all been to conferences before where we're kind of sitting halfway through it and going, this was a waste of time. I'm going to go get coffee. I mean, maybe every conference I've ever gone to. So this is going to be a little bit different, a lot more hands-on, practical kind of, you know, the EST sort of stuff that we talk about. So I'm excited about it. Who's our keynote, Sam? Well, it's uh, it's a relative of mine. I'm, I'm not <laughs> have have we ever heard of this one? Um, the Thom. The Thom. The Thom. The Thom. <laughs> That's hey hey. I, by the way, I went to Phoenix, Arizona, with another relative of yours two weeks ago, Sam. Like you've got relatives everywhere. Well, the, the, the Rainer's just yeah, they're they're out there, I guess. Yeah, my dad, Doctor Doctor Tom Rainer, but T H. H O M. Dr. Tom. The Thom will will be our keynote. Tom will be our keynote. We will be doing some sessions as well. In fact, here's the thing that we're working on that I think is going to be a lot of fun. A live recording of EST right there on the stage and um, probably some some audience involvement as well. So um, it's going to be great. And uh, and and unlike other conferences, um, the, those of us who are participating, you're going to get to – I mean, we're going to be there available. We're going to be hanging out with you guys. So this is going to be an opportunity to get to know each other. We'd love to learn from you. Hopefully, maybe you, we've got a thing or two that can help uh, be helpful to you guys as well. So we hope you're going to hope you're going to join us for the EST conference in Dallas in October. <laughs> and uh, tons of resources we're giving away as well. Books, lots of stuff. Yeah, yes, so worth so worth your time. Just coming to Dallas, getting the resources, all those sort of fun things. So we hope that you will be a part of that as well. I'm looking forward to it. Mike and Sam are as well. And um, yeah, that's all we have for the podcast today. Do you guys have any like final thoughts? We've got about two minutes, so you could it could be on anything you want. I really, uh, I just don't. I keep thinking about the thumb. I can't <laughs> stop thumb. thinking about it. I'm just never going to say that because it's going to come out wrong. I'm just not <laughs> ever going to find it. There's I no cannot way. wait until the EST conference to see Josh go up to shake Dr. Rainer's <laughs> hand and say a horribly inappropriate thing. Something I'm not saying nothing inappropriate. <laughs> I'm always appropriate. Yes. The other day, I think I told you this, Sam. I was walking past um, a, a in cap at our Lifeway here in um, just east of Dallas, um, also in the <laughs> Dallas Fort Worth Metro, and. Uh, it's it, it the whole thing was Rainer. The it was the entire thing was Rainers. And I think at the top it said something it, it was funny. It was like something Rainers. <laughs> and so the whole recap was Rainer books. And um I looked over at my wife, Jackie, I said, It doesn't even have my favorite Rainer on there, so it's worthless. <laughs> and we just kinda walked away. <laughs> I'm I'm well into my next book, so soon enough. That's what you, what closing thoughts, I'll just say. I've got my next book I'm pretty excited about. Mm. I'm gonna keep the idea to myself for now because I don't want anybody stealing it. <laughs> um, so yeah, just be looking for that. Hopefully uh, get that out by the end of the year. Awesome. Yep. That's exciting. And um, we did not mention this earlier and we should go ahead and do it. Uh, Ryan, let me see. Let me make sure I read this guy's name right. The The person who submitted the... That was Raiden Hollis, wasn't it? Raiden Hollis. That's right. Yeah, Raiden's a friend of mine from Missouri. He's a good guy. Church planner in the St. Louis area. 
He's the one who submitted this topic, and we do appreciate people submitting topics, letting us know on Twitter or the Facebook. Let us know your ideas or your thoughts. And as always, we appreciate you listening. Make sure that you let other people know about it, and we'll catch you next week. You've been listening to EST, a discussion for the established church. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, as well as subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Support for EST is provided by Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. The mission at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary is to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. The school is located in Wake Forest, North Carolina, and offers more than 40 different degree programs ranging from Associate of Divinity to Doctor of Philosophy. With more than 3,400 students enrolled, Southeastern trains future and current ministry leaders to lead effectively, study the word diligently, and preach the gospel unashamedly. Learn more about Southeastern by visiting www.sebts.edu. And come check out our campus to see how you can join the Southeastern family and learn how to go to reach your community, your nation, and your world. Wherever you're going, Southeastern will help you get there.